The scripture reading for today comes from Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. You know, for many of us, the, uh, the table is a place of great joy. It's a place where the body and the soul is cared for, where relationships were nurtured. For me, I remember, I just have such vivid memories of playing games around the table, Yahtzee, other really skillful games like that. Uh, the table was a place where we laughed together. My mom, she, when she laughs really hard, she goes silent. That's when you know you've made her laugh, is you just see her body shake and nothing's coming out. Um, I look back and I remember asking my mother about the birds and the bees at that table over a bowl of generic Fruity Loops because she was too cheap to buy the real deal. And she, I remember she slowly got up from the table and went over and just whisked an empty bowl and said, I think your dad's coming home later. Uh, the table is a place of just great joy, but also for many of us, the table has a, a, is a place of loss and sorrow. For a lot of families, when they have to have a hard conversation, where do they go? They sit down around the table. I remember for me, my parents explained to me what student debt really meant when I was going into college at that table. Uh, you can imagine a father and mother sitting down their family and saying, a, a job that we just took is taking us to a new town. And in slow motion, the mouth, the mouth begins the word, and we're moving to Lubbock, right? <laughs> um, I know for me, the, the, the table is a place of loss. I, we, we lost, you know, when you lose a family member, you get back together on a holiday, and not only do you just feel their loss, but for many times in my life, I looked at an empty chair around that table and thought to myself what that chair resembled. The table is a loaded place for many of us in our lives, and it was even more the case for Jesus in his day. The table was a place that was seen as sacred. The Jewish people took their meals very seriously, and so they were very careful in how they prepared their meals or even how they... They chose what they were going to serve. Some things were unclean. They were not allowed to serve it. If you were to be familiar with the Old Testament, most of the festivals, most of the, the big religious holidays, it included a meal. It included sitting around the table and, and reminding each other of the stories of God. Uh, but more importantly for what we're going to be talking about today, tables, especially for them and maybe even a little bit for us, speaks a lot about who you're in a relationship with, who is your community. Especially in Jesus' day, you could tell a lot about someone with who they broke bread with. It, their association and their relationships were known by their table fellowship. So that's why we find it interesting that if you were to be familiar with the story of Jesus, if you were to be familiar with the Gospels, that you see that Jesus does some of his best work around a table. That Jesus, he chooses the table to be a place 
to have significant moments, to create memories, to have conversations that would follow people. And we find in our scripture passage today that he did just that. That's why we're having this, this series we're calling At the Table. It's going to be a six-week series. It's going to be a study of just where Jesus sat down at a table with people and how Jesus can teach us about grace in those moments. The story that we heard about today began with a man sitting at another table. His name was Matthew. He's a tax collector. For those unfamiliar with, uh, with Scripture, the tax collector in Jesus' day was the most hated person in the community. He was the most despised person out of the whole community. Uh, but the reason why is because the Romans took over Israel. And for people who, who are thinking of it as the holy land, a land that God was given, that was a very hard thing for them to go through. But what they did was even a little bit more cruel. They said, all right, to be able to pay for all that we're doing here, we are going to appoint people that are native to this land and make them the tax collector because they're familiar with who lives here and the customs, and so they're not going to be duped as easily. And so they chose these people, and they gave them the incentive of this, that all we care for is to get this much money, so if you want to make some for yourself on top of that, that's fine. We don't care about that. Just make sure you give us what's appointed. And so you see how it could be really easy for these tax collectors to have enough incentive to exploit their neighbors, not only were they, were they traitors, but they were taking advantage of their brothers and their sisters, of their neighbors, for their own gain. It's not hard to imagine why they were hated. And for Matthew, what we know a little bit about him, many scholars believe that Matthew, his post was right outside the lakeshore, outside Capernaum. And he took taxes off the, the imports and the, and the fisheries, the, the fishermen who were coming in which later on might be an awkward introduction when Jesus introduces Matthew to the rest of the disciples, many of which were fishermen, right? You guys all, you guys remember Matthew, you know? <laughs> uh, you can see how Matthew was money hungry, disloyal, unjust, self-interested, seemingly far from God, and he is being someone who has been used to seeing an opportunity and jumping on it. And here on this day, in this story, we see Matthew do the exact same thing. He sees an opportunity, and he jumps for it. So other people saw Matthew, and they hated him. This is not the case for Jesus. In verse 9, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. He didn't see someone to hate or someone to despise. He saw a man who is in need of grace, he was in need of mercy and purpose, and he also saw someone who could potentially follow him the rest of his life. And he said, you, I want you to follow me. This is the invitation that Jesus gave again and again to people. I want you to follow me. Wherever you are, I just want you to follow me. This is different than what many people think the invitation of Christianity is, which is, I want you to believe everything on our belief statement and then sign at the dotted line. I want you to do all these duties and the, these activities. The invitation for, from Jesus for these people was, I just want you to come and follow me. See what this might be like. Most of the people that followed Jesus, they followed him before they even believed in them. They, they were clueless. They were missing it the whole time. And Jesus in his grace was saying, come, follow me. You would think that the first place that Jesus would have Matthew go is, 
come follow me, we're going to go to the temple, and you're going to get right with God, right? Or come follow me, we're going to go, and we're going to liquidate your assets, and you're going to pay back the people you exploited. But instead, what does he say to Matthew? Come, follow me, because we're going to your home, and you're going to throw a party, because I want to meet your friends, I want to meet your community. This is the unexpected savior that Jesus was and remains to be. That he led Matthew to his very home. Why in the world would Jesus do that? Well, Jesus is like grace. It meets us where we are. We think grace is waiting for us when we've kind of cleaned up our act, or we figured out how to, to perform a certain way or be a certain way, or at least we can fake it, and then grace meets us. But Jesus is like grace. It met Matthew where he was. He wanted to go to his home so that Matthew would know that there's nothing that's going to be lost on him, that Jesus was familiar with all of his ways so that he could experience grace and maybe even so that his friends in this community could see this new person that Matthew was becoming. Remember, someone is understood by the people they eat with, and it's a way of identifying yourself. So it's very, it's very easy to imagine why in the world, in verse 11, we see what is said. Why does your teacher eat? Notice, not hang out with, be with, but eat. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Another way to say it is, why does your, why does your teacher want to identify with the worst of the worst? No one wanting to protect their religious image would have community with people like that. No one who cared about their, their religious uh, performance or their religious image would sit down and eat with them. But you see, Jesus, he cared more for relationships than reputation. He, he didn't care about his reputation or his image. He cared about people. And he went after people in ways that were confusing to a lot of people. And so Jesus knows this. He hears this. this. Uh, and he responded to the Pharisees in verse 12. And he says this. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. This is one of those comments that is, sounds incredibly gracious, and it is. But it is also somewhat of a judgment. You see, the word of grace very simply, it's, I have come for those who are sick. For those who have been beaten up. For those who've made a rubble of their life, it's those people that I've come after. For those people who are sick to their stomach about what they have done, it's those people who need a doctor. And that is who I am. It's a comment of just mercy and grace for you if you are feeling sick. I've come for you, and I'm gonna heal you. But, the word of judgment is this. If you're feeling healthy, if you're fine on your own, if, you, if it's fixed, if you're self-reliant and self-sufficient, you're not gonna experience me like those who are in need of a savior. For those people who are desperate, you're gonna see me and I might come and you might not be open to me and I might pass you by. That, that's a word of judgment. It's a, it's a harsh word in many ways, but it's a word that reveals something in us. Karl Barth, he was um, probably the most important theologian of the 20th century. I love how he described who God is. 
God is the one that breaks everything open. God is the one that breaks everything open, that opens up people, sometimes against our will, that breaks us open so that we might be honest with ourselves and honest with God. This statement right here breaks open people. Are you healthy or are you sick? Where is your heart? What is your need of me right now? And for, it's a, it's a word of grace, even though it sounds like a judgment. It is that I want to break you open so that you might be able to receive grace anew. You see in the Beatitudes, a couple chapters earlier, Matthew, that Jesus went on the mountainside and flipped everything upside down. And he said, you might think it's blessed for those who, are, who have everything they need and are self-sufficient and doing fine. But it's actually this, blessed are those who are mourning. Blessed are those who are feeling weak. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. It's those people who are blessed in my kingdom. And do you know why? It's because they get a savior. It's because they, they take their need and Jesus gets to rush and be a healer and a savior. Blessed are those who are in trouble. Because <laughs> I'm gonna come and I'm gonna be with you. You see here that the Pharisees of that day probably thought their health identified them with God, their health being their religious duties, their involvement in their religious community, their knowledge of the Torah, of the scriptures, but it's actually those very things that almost made them in trouble. Jesus flips it upside down. It's the honest ones, those who know that they're in need of healing. It's those people who have come for And then Jesus gives them a final word. And this is the word, by the way, for me that has just kind of rattled around my brain for this past week. Verse 13, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I have come not to call the righteous but sinners. For me, I've been puzzled about this idea. What does it mean to learn what it means that Jesus has come to us to say that I desire mercy and not sacrifice. The idea of sacrifices might seem antiquated or weird or old, and it kind of is. In Jesus' day in the Old Testament, uh, the Hebrew people practiced sacrifices. Sometimes they, uh, they brought animals or grain and they sacrificed them. But even the community around Jesus, their understanding of, of God and sacrifices were so intertwined that what Jesus is saying here is something really radical, in, in old days, a very secular point of view was this idea that the gods were always angry at people. Just like the gods were angry and looking down upon humanity in this world, and they were militant and going to get revenge. And so what did they do? People burned animal sacrifices with the thought that it would go up into the heavens and they would smell it and be appeased for a little bit. And if that's the case, I would think all the gods would want to move to Austin, Texas, where there's like brisket being smoked at all times. Uh, So this idea of that these gods would be appeased by these sacrifices and Jesus is something totally different. Jesus is not some distant being who is angry and militant against humanity. We see in Jesus something totally different. We see in Jesus This idea that God actually came near. God's not distant, but God came 
near, and he actually sits down at the table with us and sits down and creates community with us. You see the relationality in this, the grace and the mercy. And Jesus did that with more than anyone else, those who thought they were far from God. And Jesus says, I don't want your sacrifices. I want you. I want a relationship. I want you to know what mercy tastes like. So join me at this table. Jesus did this time and time again. See, for us, it remains the same. It's not about what you or I bring to the table. It's not about what we bring to the table, but it's about who Jesus is, and because of that, what he brings to the table. That's how this whole thing works. And so what do we do? We sit. We sit at the table with Christ. What I love about these words, for I desire mercy and not sacrifice, that Jesus is actually saying a quote. He's actually quoting a a prophet And I think the reason why he's choosing this is not because it's perfect for what he's trying to say, but uh, two, it's because these Pharisees would know where this is coming from and know the context. And what is the context? It's a quote from Hosea, a story about a spiritual man who was asked by God to go and take a prostitute as a wife. And so he did that, and he brought her to his home for a sense of intimacy and connection But guess what happened? She longed to go back into the streets. And so the holy man said, okay, I've done my part. And then God says to her, no, you haven't. It's not done yet because what you're going to do is a picture of who I am. I want you to go and find your beloved and bring her back home. I want you to go to where she is and I want you to bring her home. You see, Jesus is doing the same thing in this. That in Jesus, God goes back to the beloved, you and I, who might not think that we are, and he meets us where we are, and he says, I, you don't have to sacrifice anything to be restored back in this relationship, because I'm going to bring you back to me, and I'm going to make this unity happen again. I'm going to restore you into beautiful relationship. You know why? Because it's not sacrifices that I'm after. It's mercy. And if that doesn't resonate in you, I wonder if you've truly feasted at that table, that table of mercy that Jesus gives us. For me, I grew up very religious. I grew up in a Southern Baptist family. I went through all the Bible drills. We called them sword drills because we're weird like that. And I learned it all, and I learned how to act a certain way. I wore the weird Christian T-shirts that had the guy with his, his knees, uh, like knees rubbed out in his pants, and it said underneath, pray hard, you know, like awkward, a breadcrumb and fish T-shirts. I, I was a part of that world. And then, like what happens in most people's life, uh, around my senior year in high school, I decided not to, and I started running the other way. And, um, and when I was doing that, the more, I, the more I was running away from God, the more shame and guilt was being put on me, just more shame and more guilt. And uh, I remember I went off to Texas A&M for my freshman year, and my first night there in the dorm, uh, these guys come by and ask me to come to them, to, they're having a keg party at this guy's backyard. So I went there, 
And they, these guys were shaving letters into their heads. And you might think that like shaving a letter, no, they would shave their whole lead, uh, the head other than like a little letter. And they kept on saying, Charbonneau, when are you going to do it? When are you going to? I'm like, no. But interestingly, as the night went on, it made more sense. <laughs> and uh, so eventually I go, fine, I'll do it. And they looked at the barber, the guy who was shaving people's head, and he was doing a keg stand at that moment. He came down and said, we're Charbonneau. And I was like, okay, great. Duct taped an R in my head, a backwards R, and shaved it, nicked my ear, and it was bleeding. And then right after that, they lined us up with a, a handle of liquor, and they said, all right, from here to here, you have to finish this bottle. And I remember when that bottle got to me, I was standing there, I was looking at it, with a stupid R shaved into my head and my ear bleeding. And I was thinking to myself, what am I doing? <laughs> what, what, is this really going to be college? I mean, I've already ruined my, my beautiful look, but you know, do I really want to go for it? And so I passed it on, and right after that experience, I started running hard the other way. I would go to any Bible study I heard of. This is like not the typical freshman experience. I would go to every Bible study I heard of, every accountability group I heard of. I went to a freshman Bible study, big breakaway. I was there too. I went to church I prayed a lot. I started journaling, like for real, for the first time in my life. And all of this was my attempt to get back to God. And it went on for months and months and months where I felt like, I guess I have to pray more. I have to go study more scripture. I have to go be part of more groups. And I kept feeling further and further from God until it was in January, I went to a conference in Fort Worth. And I thought, all right, so this is the moment where I'm gonna be reunited uh, with God with God, and this finally this blanket of shame could be taken from me. And it was a couple days on the last night, I remember sitting in the very back of this huge auditorium and watching people in worship of Jesus that I knew that I hadn't experienced before. And it felt like a little bit like I was on the outside of an aquarium. I was seeing people having these, this encounter and this interaction, and I felt so frustrated. I felt so frustrated, and for the first time in years, I said a, a really, really honest prayer, and the prayer was this, that God, you know how hard I've tried to get back at you. You know how sorry I am for what I've done, but you're not taking this from me, so you know what? I quit, I'm done. And I stood up to walk out of that auditorium and maybe to walk out, walk out on God for the rest of my life. And as I stood up, it was as if the voice of God said to me, good, you're done, now it's my turn. And just these wa this wave of grace and forgiveness began to spill over me as I realized that out of love, God was waiting for me to stop trying to earn forgiveness. You know why? It's because... He doesn't want sacrifices. He wants mercy. And if I were to achieve mercy, that's not mercy. For me, that was my conversion experience. I had known a lot about God, but it was at that moment where my life was transformed because of grace, because I experienced how this whole thing works, that God loves to give us mercy and grace. Just as Matthew went from the table of the tax collector's booth and was moved to a different table with Jesus on that day. He probably didn't expect it. And maybe for you, maybe Jesus wants to move you to a different table today. One that's 
been established by his love and mercy, one that he's serving to you and serving to me. Would you want to come? Would you want to dine? Would you want to know Jesus more? Let's pray.